Welcome to Coffee is Got Me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Valerian here. Thank you for tuning into the next episode of Coffee Is That Me podcast. And as promised, this one is going to be a big one. Well, actually, all of them are big one, right? <laughs> Before we start, I would like to give a shout out to one of our listeners and the guy who helped us to fix the Green Plantations ProBath UG22, Joshua Hyman. Joshua is building an open source roaster. What the heck is an open source roaster? Well, check out Joshua's website, cafedolcealchemia.com. And if you are like me and you have problems with spelling domain names, then you just go to our show notes at coffeeis.me and find this episode and I'll put the link there. I'm very excited to see where this project goes. Would like also invite you to check out our new baby, coffeecourses.com, which is the online learning hub for coffee professionals. If you are starting a coffee company, or you are already in the coffee industry, this place is really for you. And if you are an old listener and you also checked out our previous product, Bootcamp Coffee, then you have to know that Coffee Courses has all the content from Bootcamp Coffee plus much more. And yes, the price tag is $100 more, but pssst, if you are serious about the purchase, find me on Facebook or drop me an email and I can make it the same price as Bootcamp is. How? Well, that's called the magic of a coupon code, my friend. <laughs> the content is created by the famous coffee guru I'm proud to call partner in crime, Willem Booth. But we also hope to attract third-party course developers. If you're not in the spending mood, I get it. I totally get it. Then feel free to subscribe to one of our free courses. Today and in the next three episodes, I'm inviting to an excursion to the brain of a British coffee icon, Stephen Layden, the founder of Has Been Coffee. In this episode, Stephen will tell his personal story of starting a coffee roasting company and how did he overcome his first hoops. Stephen is really fun and entertaining and I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Layden. I hope you enjoyed this one, Stephen. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for accepting the Invite to Coffees.me podcast. I'm so thrilled that you are here. Uh, we have a lot of big fans of yours. So thanks again. No, thank you. And, and uh, we were talking a little bit off air before we came on. And uh, like, I'm always surprised that anybody knows who the heck I am. Like, I'm in a tiny town in the middle of England. That it, for anybody who's listening, I'm a long way from London. So everybody says, oh, I'm in London. Can I come and see you? And I was like, yeah, if you want to get on a train for two hours. <laughs> so um, I'm always very surprised anybody knows who I am. So that's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, you are very humble. We Everybody knows you. I mean, man, you are like one of my first guests uh, started a coffee roaster in called Ironclad Roasters. And he huh. mentioned that you are his inspiration. Oh, wow. I, do you know what? That's amazing when you kind of hear that stuff as well, because like... When I started, my inspiration was Tom Owen at Sweet Maria's in the US. And uh, I remember how much, like, just reading his site and seeing what he was doing helped me. And uh, when I reached out to him very early on, like, Tom was, 
the nicest guy because he is the nicest guy in the world um, and it's something I've always tried to do if somebody's reached out to me I've kind of gone of course what can I do like everything I know you can have like seriously if I know something and you want it you can have it because I've already done it at that point and it's it's knowledge that should be out there and that's exactly how I found Tom so um, that, that's really awesome I love that I can have some kind of effect on on somebody else in the coffee industry that's cool yeah the Tom is inspired everyone you know it's I started that same way and that was the only resource where you can learn about coffee right for sure unfortunately I'm not allowed to go within 20 meters of him now due to the court order um but I, I was lucky enough to travel with him in uh, Rwanda in 2009 during a cup of excellence and um like literally I was just gooey eyed the whole time it was like I love you Tom <laughs> and he's like yeah thanks Steve um I'm gonna go over here now <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same issue when uh he doesn't know me by the way I'm a I'm a customer because I live very close to him luckily yeah um but uh there was the good food awards and I was a volunteer there and uh he was staying next to me and I was starting to shake and I don't have any problems to talk any celebrity so if you put in front of me any actor you know I like I'll just go talk to them about coffee. I don't care. But with with uh, Tom, I was like, uh, I don't know why. That's weird. I feel it, brother. I feel it because I'm exactly the same. Like, you know, I, I in fact, no, there's two people who do that to me. The, the, it was actually on the same trip. Um, George Howell was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for listeners who don't know George Howell, he, uh, I mean, he is the creator of the Cup of Excellence. Like, he created, he's the creator of the Frappuccino. You know, like, he's a legend in coffee coffee circles. And uh, I sat down to dinner with him and I was chatting to him and I said, oh, Mr. Howell, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you do. And he says, Steve, Steve, please call me George. I said, yeah, okay, Mr. Howell. Uh, <laughs> like, I just couldn't. It was. It just doesn't feel right, you know. And and those two people, whenever I, whenever I do meet them, um, I think it's because of the respect I have for them and what they've done and what they did when nobody else was doing it that is just, it's so amazing and a great template for anybody uh, anybody in the coffee industry. So um, I, I, I think it's, it's okay to be scared of Tom uh, because he's just so mega and so huge. So... That's cool and super humble too. Like he still, he still remains that guy you can approach. And and I'm I, I'm very desperate. You know, like when I'm doing so, for, like for instance, when I've done the WBC MC, and I'm really busy at that time. And somebody will always come up to me, and when I when I'm just about to go on back on stage and say, "Oh, hi, Steve, how are you doing?" And I'm like, I always try to find the time and not be that douche that goes, "I'm busy. I've got a microphone." <laughs> so um, you know, and, and and purely because you know, I want to be like those guys when they were when I met them and and, and um, i think that's really important okay that's encouragement for me so next time i see him i'll say hi that hey i'm Should. the guy who spends all his money on your stuff <laughs> and you know what he will give you just as much time as he will a world barista champion that walks up to him or an amazing coffee grower that walks up to him because he's that kind of guy he really is he's lovely sounds great okay so uh first of all i have to check also that your favorite color is red do you know there's a rumor about that that I may like the color red? Um, I've actually started recently to stop dressing in red, um, and and purely because I became a stereotype. It was just like, oh yeah, red Steve. Yeah, and to to actually have a whole color that you know somebody would be in a shop and they'd take a picture of a red shirt and send it to me, thinking I saw this and thought of you as like, why I would never wear that shirt just because it's red. So, um, but yeah, I. I, I have a massive love for red, and it's it's probably the only part of 
my other passion in life that comes into coffee. So I have two passions and, and, and coffee is definitely the all consuming big, huge passion, but I'm a massive football fan. Mm-hmm. Like the American guys will call it soccer, but it really is called football because it's called English and we created the language. I'm so, with you. I'm um, European. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, and I'm a massive Sunderland fan and my team playing red and white uh, and red has always been my color. Uh, I, I, I just love it. It's, it's kind of like me. It's like, it's loud, it's brash and it also means it's a bit dangerous. So, so it's kind of like, it's a perfect color for me, but do you know, like coming up for colours for has been, I didn't want to follow the, the kind of traditional browns and creams. You know, 2003, that's still what people did with their logos and their websites and their colours. And I was like, no, I'm going to go red. I'm going to do red because I like red and that's me. Um, but yeah, it, it has become a, a little bit of a burden that I carry around. Like my wardrobe is full of red things. I have a red shirt on. Good man, thank you. <laughs> sure. I, 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 I'm going to take that as a great honour that you woke up this morning and thought, I'm going to put a red shirt on because I'm going to talk to Steve. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Serious. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally yeah? serious. Like, you know, I looked oh, at your awesome. videos and I was like, this guy likes red. And I have this red shirt, which I got for Christmas from my wife. And I was like, I'm going to wear it. Do you know when we built the roastery? Um, so we built a new roastery about four or five years ago. And we basically had an empty shell um, we had, we've got some videos somewhere on there where we did in my roastery and we showed the building of the roastery but it was kind of like my goal to have as many red things in there as I could <laughs> and do you know that red things tend to cost about 30% more than any other colour will- so like when we had a sink that cost 30% more when we had a sofa 30% more chairs for the board like the board table kind of thing 30% more um, and our local DIY store actually ran out of red paint uh, halfway through us doing the roastery so i was very proud of that i was like i've achieved here i've, I've definitely nailed the red thing sounds sounds great uh, except the 30 percent <laughs> plus so yeah. you said that you know not many people know you which is totally not true by the way but let's go with your story so let tell us what what is your story how did you start with coffee okay so i was a weird seven-year-old kid i was really weird and, and some would say nothing has changed and it hasn't i'm still a bit weird <laughs> But um, I used to love this TV program uh, that was on in the UK called Porridge. Um, it was uh, Ronnie Barker, who's a very famous comedian here. And it's, it's still shown now on TV at repeats at Christmas and things because it's a real classic comedy. And it's based in a prison. And um, I decided that at the age of seven, I wanted to be a prison officer. Uh, I knew no prison officers. <laughs> I, I, I'd never been to prison at that point, I promise. And uh, I didn't know anybody who who was in prison, uh, but I saw this TV program. So that was my one weird thing. And my other weird thing was uh, I asked my mom if I could have a filter coffee maker for Christmas. Nothing posh, just one of the glass jug ones that, you know, you put coffee in the ground coffee in the top and you got filter coffee. Again, seven year old one. Seven years okay. old. And luckily for me, uh, there was it was just me and my mom at that time. So... Um, uh, just me and my mum living together and she was like okay and, and it, it was not without motivation like the prison thing the uh, the coffee thing was we used to go ice skating once a month so it was a special treat uh, when my mum got her money that we went ice skating in Wolverhampton uh, which is a, a small city not far from where the roastery is now and on the way there we used to walk past this uh, shop they used to have smoke coming out the ground. And as a seven-year-old kid, I was like, why is that on fire? 
I need to find out why that is on fire. So one day we went in um, and they'd got a roaster in the cellar of this shop. And they used to sell uh, loose teas and coffee beans uh, that were roasted in the shop. It was called Snape's. Mm -hmm. And it was just a massive fascination for me. I used to walk around the shop kind of following who I used to call old man Snape. I actually found out quite a number of years later he wasn't called that at all. I don't know why it was called Snape's. But um, following around, go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And kind of like what we were saying about Tom Owen and George Howell, like, he was incredibly open to talk to me and tell me. He was telling this seven-year-old kid what he was doing. Um, so on that once a month, I was allowed to choose the coffee that we were going to take home. And like we got just like a cafetiere, and I was like, I want a filter maker. So I ended up, for that Christmas, got a filter maker. And coffee just became part of what we did at that point. Um, and it did that for a number of years, like, I kind of, up until around about the age of 13, 14, I was still really interested in coffee. Um, but 13 hit and I kind of found out that there was girls and there was beer and there was dancing and there was discos. Um, and I kind of like, yeah, did the things that normal teenagers did instead of weirdos sitting at home drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and coffee went on the back burner for a long time. And then I'd be about 20 years old and I got a job in a petrol station. Uh, it was an all-night petrol station that I used to work. I used to work during the day, and I'd finish at five o'clock, have a few hours sleep, and then go and work in this petrol station from like nine o'clock in the night till nine in the morning, and then go straight to work the following day. And the best way for me to stay awake, because I was very tired, I found was coffee. So I would take, I started back on the coffee thing, and I would take coffee in, and I would drink coffee. And then one night, I got, um, it was a very rough part of town where this petrol station was. Somebody threw a fire extinguisher um, at the window, uh, smashed the window. I had a panic button, which alerted the police. The police came. And when they came, they were taking down all the details. And they said, do you want a coffee? And they were like, yeah, sure. So I made them some of my coffee that I got. And they were like, this is amazing. I love this. What is it? And I started to talk to them about the coffee. And then every night after that, the police who were on duty would come and park their police car outside my petrol station and come and drink coffee with me. It was a great way of deterring people, throwing fire extinguishers at your window. Mm. Um, it became a very good deterrent for anybody who wanted to cause any trouble didn't come to my petrol station because the police were already there. So I kind of thought, this is a good idea. Um, and I kind of carried that on and, until I got a job in the prison service eventually because the prison officer's story came true. Um, and I was doing nights there. And then the internet kind of came along and I found Tom. And I found his website and I started ordering green beans from Tom, shipping them to the UK. Wow. And at night in the prison, I had a frying pan and some green beans and I was roasting green beans in a frying pan and drinking the coffee at night. And there was one night I was on the night duty. And funnily enough, when I got to the prison, it wasn't like Porridge, the TV programme. It was completely different. There were some nasty people there who'd been in trouble with the police. Um, so I kind of decided that that wasn't the job for me and I thought well what can I do and I was drinking the coffee and I thought well if I'm buying coffee from Tom in America surely there's other people here in the UK that want to do the same or maybe I could have a roaster and I could do it so I started to research into that and then in 2000 I opened um, a coffee shop in Stafford which was the first coffee shop in Stafford. There was no Starbucks, there was no chains, there was no Costa or Nero or anybody like that. Um, and we opened up with a one group, uh, Simonelli Oscar, mm -hmm. 
um, which is not up to the job of being a commercial coffee machine. Um, sorry, Simonelli, I love the machine, but it really wasn't. Well, it's a home machine, uh, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, we started within about three weeks of that, I realised the machine wasn't up to it. So I found a three-group Chimbali on eBay for, I think it was around about £110 I paid for it, <laughs> which is not a lot of money, you know, $150 give some context to our US brothers. And um, I was just like, okay, we were off and we started. And then I, I bought a little roaster for the shop and I was roasting at home in my garage for the shop. But kind of realized that making cups of coffee really wasn't my thing. Like I, I love making coffee go brown, but I'm not overly keen on making it go wet. Um, so I decided that I needed to maybe change the business plan a little bit. So kind of two, two years in, we had a college student. I'm still friends with him now. His name's Peter, Peter Stevenson. And he was 16 years old and he used to come in and he'd have a mocha. We did mockers, I'm afraid. Sorry, it was 2000. You know, we were allowed. Uh, and um, he said, why don't you sell your coffee online on a website? And I was like, I can't afford to do that. He says, well, I'll build you a website if you give me 50 loyalty cards stamped up so I can come in and drink mockers. So I was like, okay. Um, so we built our first website that way and it's horrendous i have a screenshot of it um still oh and it, you can send it the background to me. i will no for sure so it's a lime green background with a brown and black text on it um and the worst looking website in the world i wouldn't put my credit card details in it but <laughs> some people did and um that's kind of how has been started as it is today so 2003 we closed the shop we opened a roastery um and, you know, the, the rest is history. In 2005, I got invited to go and judge a Cup of Excellence competition. Um, at that point, I was still uh, a prison officer. So I had to ask the governor if I could have uh, a week's leave to go to Nicaragua. To, it amused him greatly. He thought that was very, very funny. Um, <laughs> but he let me because I wasn't a very good prison officer and I think he wanted to get rid of me. And um, it kind of went from there. It was, it was just, it's been a roller coaster ever since. Um, you know, there's so much happened in that time. I kind of look back now and just can't believe how much my life has changed from that one moment on night in the prison where I went, I don't want to do this anymore. That's very cool. That's a fascinating story. And, you know, I read your story also on your, on your website. And then you mentioned one uh, home roaster called Alpenrust. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. We used to set fire quite regularly to the shop with the Alpenrust. <laughs> so uh, that's exactly how I started. I bought Alpenrust and I had a little shop <laughs> and roasted coffee for that. And it's, it's, I think it was 250 grams. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. yeah. I think it was 230 grams, actually, I think was the recommended dose. In it, cause I, that used to annoy me a lot because that was like, it's a pound, not uh, 250 grams that I want. You did not know what you're doing. You just, it just smoked and you heard the pops and that's all you can do with that because it had a closed enclosure so you didn't see the beans. And if you didn't keep that enclosure clean, the reflective enclosure, the roast would just not happen. Yeah. Like you had to keep that spotless. It was, yeah. It was a horrible start for me, at least. I, I realized that, oh my gosh, I have so much passion for this. I love it, but I cannot make anything with this. <laughs> so, like, you have to remember for me, it was an upgrade because I was using a frying pan yeah. on an electric hob in a prison. Um, <laughs> There's actually an interesting story that isn't in the story about me roasting coffee in the pan in the prison. So there was one night I was there and I was roasting away and it was it was getting fairly 
uh, active, shall we say? Like, you know, it was approaching second crack. Um, and in all of the prisons, they have very, very sensitive fire alarms. Uh-huh. Um, so I managed to set off the fire alarm with this smoke, with, like with all the smoke I was creating. So panicking, I opened all, because I'm the only one in the wing, I'm opening all the windows that I can and trying to get the smoke out. Phone up the, the gates, oh, don't worry, it's nothing. He said, oh, the fire engines are on the way. And we had three fire engines turn up at the prison. Oh, my God. Um, at £250 each for the call out it cost. Uh, I was not very popular that night. I, I was very, very unpopular with the governor. Um, so uh, that, that was my last night of roasting in the prison. But, but you're right, that Alpenross was a terrible machine. I, I'm sorry if they're listening, but it really was. Well, it was a great machine. start. It's a home machine. It's not, it was not made for us to start a business. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as I say, the Oscar definitely wasn't made for that either. But I, I did my very best to, uh, to try and make it work. Yeah. You know, I don't know how the the British prison system works, but I know how it works in the United States a little bit. Uh, my work, wife works for a non-profit, which provides, you know, like a, a high, uh, college education for them. So she has all these stories, you know, about the security and stuff. So if you would do something like this there, man, you are in news all over and that would be like a horrible thing. <laughs> They might, you yes. might even end up in jail with them or something. I don't know. No, Please no, don't. for sure. I mean, like, I, I got in a heap of trouble over that one. It uh, took me a little bit of a time to to live that one down. Um, but yes, you know that that's uh, we all do naughty things at work. I think I think that's uh, kind of uh, by the rule. Although my employees don't do anything naughty, they're very good. People. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so coming to your first professional roaster. Do you remember what was it? And do you remember st- your first professional roast? I still have it. Oh. So it's in reception. It has been. Um, it was a two kilo Ambex I bought secondhand from another roaster in the UK. Um, and I remember very clearly because when I bought it, um, he said like, okay, I'm going to sell it here. I don't really want to, but I will because uh, he needed the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said like, but what I'm going to say to you is you buy green beans from me for at least six months and um, you don't sell online for at least six months. Okay. And I was like, sure, I can do that. Which gave me a great six months to plan to sell online and to find where I could get green beans from. So it actually worked really well for me. But as soon as the day that six months finished, um, we launched the website um, and we uh, we started to buy greens from other people. But yeah, a two kilo Ambex, um, Amy, because that was a name. Oh, nice. uh, every roaster I have has a name. Um, and she still sits in reception. And actually, when she did die, and she died because she did about 30 tons we worked out before she retired, um, we actually bought exactly the same roaster to replace her. And we still use a two kilo as one of our roasters today in the roastery. And it's a two kilo Ambex. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know Terry from, from Ambex. I'm trying to think of his wife's name as well. She's lovely and I can't remember, but you know, that they'll be the first to admit that these are, you know, they're entry level roasters and it taught me so much about roasting, but it was a pig. It was so hard to do anything with, you know, like trying to actually profile with it and trying to get enough energy into it. And I think a lot of it was because of the issues of the voltage changes. You know, they make one tens and we were getting two twenties and, you know, it, I, yeah, it, it, it really was an absolute pig. And even today, the two kilo is the hardest machine that we roast on. Um, but there's a part of nostalgia of me that I want to hang on to that. Um, yeah, no, I think the first um, the first roast I did was for me. 
so it was for the shop like we didn't have any customers at that time i remember the website was up for a whole week before we got an order and we got one order and i was so excited um in the first month i think we did three orders um and and i was amazed i was like this is brilliant but yeah professional roasting it really just was for the shop so it was for the customers coming in um and i got instant feedback you know this isn't very good this one is good and it really helped me to develop my roasting early on having that feedback loop that was very direct um, from people who were already our customers and they noticed the change uh, and on the whole they saw it as a positive because you know i knew what i wanted the coffee to be um, and i was much better at explaining it when i roasted it mm-hmm. so how long because two kilo roaster that's a pretty small capacity so how long did it take uh, for you to out- outgrow it Oof. Uh, i mean when we closed the shop and we opened the roastery, so that was like 2003. That was when I bought a five kilo Ambex. Um, uh, and that five kilo Ambex, I actually, I saw last week um, when I was in Guatemala. Mm. Um, so, uh, do you know Raul, Raul Rodas from Paradigma Coffee yeah. in Guatemala City? Well, not in person, but yeah, I heard of him, yeah. Well, Raul's a great friend of mine. Like, he, I, I was across for his wedding. He actually got married last week uh, and I went to Guatemala for his wedding. Congrats. And um, he has his shop now, which is absolutely beautiful. If you're ever in Guatemala City, anybody listening, go see Raul. Paradigma Coffee, it's amazing. But uh, in the back, um, he has my old five kilo roaster, which I gave him um, as consultancy to help me start buying directly in Guatemala. So I said, Look, introduce me to some of your guys. I'll give you a roaster. Um and and it's still there and it's still working today and um, so that, that that's it's pretty cool that it's still there mm. um but yeah so we, that was 2003 when we opened the roastery the five kilo came and then pretty soon after that i would say like 12 18 months after that we bought a 25 kilo ambex as well you, at the time i was in love with ambex i thought this is the only way i can go this is the only roaster i know how to use it gives me some consistency across the coffees um and it was like a safety blanket for me um, so yeah, so we had a two, a five, and a fifteen. That would be like two thousand five, two thousand six. Okay, but now I, I could say, see that you have probats, right? That's right. That's right. So um, the, the the changing point for me. So anybody who knows the Ambex systems, they um, they don't have chaff collectors on them. The chaff collects in the bottom of the roaster, um, which is very very close to where the hot air runs across. Mm-hmm. So hot air and chaff eventually you will have a fire yeah like it just and i had a huge fire in the uh the 15 like a massive fire uh, and that was my point where i went i can't work with this as much as i love these roasters it's too painful for me um it, i like i can't have roasters out of action because you know they're setting on fire and, and it got to the point that every three four months we would have some kind of fire so it could be a very small chaff fire but it was like this design just doesn't work so um when the 15 quarter light, uh, by that point, I'd been look, clever enough to get insurance and the insurance company said they would pay out. And I said, look, instead of replacing this, if I put the extra, can I buy one of these ones? And I, and I explained why. And they were like, well, it sounds like a good idea because then you won't claim again. So they gave me the money for the Ambex and then I put the extra on top and bought uh, a Probitone 12 to replace that 15. Um and very soon after that, I realized that this was definitely the way to go. Like This was like three months, four months later, I bought a 25, um, a 25 kilo L25 Probat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had an L25, so we had a, a 2, a 12, and a 25. And then two, three years ago, when we moved to our new roastery, uh, 
uh, I went I went on a hunting expedition to Poland. I went to Poznan and drove for around about an hour and a half from Poznan to this disused factory in the middle of nowhere where I found um, a very old kind of, we think pre-1940s, but we, we're not sure because the plate's missing from it. Uh-huh. But um, it's uh, a G60 and uh, it had pigeons uh, nesting in the uh, the hopper. And um, some crazy reason, I went, yeah, I'll buy this. <laughs> uh, and we and we had it rebuilt and we now have a G60 as well. So we have the four roasters uh, pretty much going all day. And on an average day, we do 60 to 70 roasts every day. Oh, wow. That's very impressive. Yeah. That's very cool. But th- this is a problem because of the way that we've set up the business. So I blame Tom Owen purely for this. But like, I thought I could do Tom Owen with roasted coffee. Uh, and realised that's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, but we have to fresh roast to order every day uh, the orders that come in. And when you've got 50, 60 coffees on the website, then you mm-hmm. need to have 60, 70 roasts a day to make sure you've got enough for them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's how we started. And now we kind of thinking, we, that's why, for example, when you start, I, I uh, recommend to have a small portfolio because yeah. you will go nuts roasting. And, you know, if you are a small company, you have to deal with all the other issues like marketing and customer relations, all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, the st- oh, well, I, I, became a part, I became a partner recently in uh, Drop Coffee in Stockholm in Sweden. Mm. Uh, and I'm incredibly envious of the jobs that they have at, at, at Drop because you go in and they've got like five coffees. You can like really focus down and nail what you're doing. And, but... My problem is I can't do that at has been because every single one of those coffees on the website has a story behind it, has a personality behind it, has a relationship behind behind it that I can't step away from. So um, yeah, like having that second opportunity to be involved in something different um, has been fantastic because it just means that I get to see a completely different side of the business and a completely different way of roasting and a completely different production cycle that's been I know it's been good for me to learn. Um, I, I've I, I've really been enjoying that side of it. So we wanted to do something like, I don't know when Drop started, but when we restructured we uh, in 2012, because I'm roasting from 2001, but in 2012 we went a different way, the nice way. And we started with a small portfolio because that was my theory that, you know, what I explained. But then you came in the game because you have a lot of customers in Central Europe. And they're like, well, look at Hasbin. He, he has so many coffees. Why do we have only three or four or five? And we're like, well, because so we had to, because of you, we had to enrich our portfolio to maybe eight coffees now. <laughs> See, but my problem is, is that I'm selling to a very different audience, I think, to what most people are. So when people build a coffee business, they tend to build it for wholesale. So selling to wholesale customers or they'll have a retail outlet. So they'll have a shop front where the coffees are in the shop. Mm-hmm. Um and then they might do a bit of website, you know, and it becomes a, almost a bolt-on afterthought. Whereas has been was purely built from the start of this is online, this is accessible, instant, you know, good customer service, good uh, range, lots of different options. Because we all know that like no coffee is the perfect coffee. Everybody has their own perfect mm-hmm. coffee. So I wanted to be that guy that okay, you don't like this, try this. You don't like this, try that. Um. And as it grew, like, and as I got to meet people in the coffee industry, like, I'm a sucker. I fall in love so easy. Like, I can meet a coffee producer and, like, and if you put something amazing in front of me on the cupping table, like, 
there's no way I'm leaving that room without buying it. And if he's a nice guy as well, you can guarantee I'm not leaving the room without buying it. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, it, it, it just, it grows and grows. And then it just got to a point where we have all of it. I think last year there was something like 280 different coffees came through. How the many? States. Sorry, I don't get it. 280. Oh my gosh. Wow. But everyone has a story. Like there is no, even the ones that we buy from importers, like we have the relationships with the producers still or from the co-ops, you know, we have some reason why that coffee is very special to us. And I don't know, like, how do you choose, you know, what's your favourite coffee when every day my favourite coffee is something else? Um, so I'm very lucky in the market that I have allows me to do what I want. If you had a retail outlet, you couldn't offer that range because it would go stale, you would have lots of wastage. Mm-hmm. But because of the scale and because of the diversity of people who are buying from us, then we can do, you know, we can do all the things we want to do. We're, we're very blessed. You are. And we are very jealous because our <laughs> problem is that, well, my Slovak company uh, has a problem that it's a five million market. Yeah, it's tiny. And, you know, in EU, we are the poor guys. I mean, it's okay, but we are the, the poor guys, you know, and. When I moved to United States, I realized that how small that is. You know, living in there, you know, it was fine because I never realized. But now I see like, oh, man, I, I should have started a company here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still... The pro- the pro- but the problem with that one, you see, is the competition is much greater. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very true. And it's also much more forgiving market f- when we started. So when we started in 2012, we could do mistakes and people were more forgiving. Nowadays, the situation is different. There's a lot of competition, but... Yes, you are right that uh, it's a small market, but still only five million. But like, I would never, and I mean, never want to open a roastery today. Like, I was so lucky with my timing. Like, and I do put lots of what I've done. I do, honestly, and people go, no, no, you're being humble, and I'm not. Like, we were lucky. It was the right time. It was the 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 perfect time to make all those mistakes. Like if I look at what we like, I can tell you in our first pallet of coffee that we bought. So this was the first time I actually bought sacks of coffee. There was a Brazil Santos, a Colombian Excelso, a China Beauchemin from China. Um, there was um, Guatemalan SHG. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, Costa, a random Costa Rican And I had to buy them all blind because the importer wouldn't send me samples because he thought I was joking. So I literally bought 10 bags of coffee on a pallet, completely blind, from an offer list uh, and, w- and made all the horrendous, silly mistakes. Like, I was just so lucky to be able to do that at the time because there was nobody else doing it. And I think what we were doing, we were probably roasting those beans more carefully and better than others were. Um And it kind of got us a little bit of a, a you know, a, a reputation because we were just doing the best with what we got. And then it opened doors to better coffees. Um, you know, and so the, the next pa- next time I bought a pallet, I actually went down to the, the, the different importers and they invited me down. I did a whole cupping with them and they spent like a whole day with me talking about the industry and educating me and stuff like that. Now, nobody would do that. Like if I phoned up an importer and said, I'm thinking about roasting coffee. Can you help me do all of this stuff? They'd go, go away, you know? But at the time, the canter were amazing. Like, they they were so helpful to me. And we're still friends today. I mean, me and Stephen uh, are probably good friends. We went to the World Cup together last year. Um, we, we, went, we went to a couple of the things in the Olympics when he was in London. And, like, I went to his 50th birthday. Should I have said he's 50 on a podcast? Oh, well, went to his 50th birthday. <laughs> um, like, 
you know, and, and but this was all from very early on. He was just helpful. He was just, he, they were nice and, and, and walked me through it. If I tried to do it today, it would scare the heck out of me. Um, it really, really would. Yeah. Well, you know, here in the United States, you have uh, importers who are going to be helpful with them because they're smaller ones, they're specializing in certain uh, lots. In Europe, it's always harder, I know. But yeah. one thing which I missed when I was starting uh, in 2001 was a list of those importers. If you Googled, for whatever reason, the importers sometimes had websites, that, but they made sure that you don't find them on Google. <laughs> so, you know, in 2000, uh, when I moved here, my, my first thing I did, I did a database of them. So, you know, it's online. So if somebody wants to go on Bootcamp Coffee, you can find a list of green coffee importers from Europe, United States. There are some Asian ones. So, Well, the way I found Macanta was it was actually quite interesting. So I had a friend who brought me this coffee, um, and it was uh, it was a Brazilian. I, I actually I, the, the in my mug that I'm doing this week is is actually the coffee I recorded it today, and um, it was from uh, Brazil, from a farm called Fazenda Cachoeira, uh, the Grama, and a friend brought me this bag of coffee, and it blew my mind. So I searched for this Fazenda Cachoeira, the Grama, and somebody had put a photo of the bag. And it had this big green M on it and Macanta. And I was like, oh, what's that? So I searched for that. And like it came up, I think, on like a Yelp page. They hadn't even got a website. And I was like, okay. And I rang them and I just like at the blue said, can you help me? And they were like, yeah, we'll help you. Uh, and, you know, the kind of the rest kind of came from there. But I, you're right. I couldn't find any imports at that time. Like I found Inter-American by mistake. Um like mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know how I found it in the end, but that that was the first importer I bought from, the, the one that wouldn't send me any samples. Uh, so, um, you know, but it was just so difficult back then. Now, and the internet's grown up a lot, and it's a lot easier to find whatever you want to find. But it, it sounds stupid, but you know, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, you still couldn't easily find some of the more weird stuff, you know. Yeah. By the way, our first palette when we restructured in 2012 was Mercanta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. We didn't <laughs> yeah. continue our cooperation. Yeah. And the reason is the same what uh, you said about Inter-American. They didn't send us samples. Now they would, but now we build relations with other guys. And I agree that, you know, you should build relations with the importers and then you should be kind of loyal, you know, when yeah. they provide you with the nice stuff. And uh, But I always have fun talk to them. And because for whatever reason, when... Uh, there's SCA event in in uh, uh, in United States. They're always next to us because I sometimes work uh, with uh, Boot Coffee, you know, in the okay. stand. So they're always either opposite of us or somewhere close to us. So we always kind of like, you know, you need help. They help us. We help them and uh, just have a chat when nobody's around and we are a little bit bored. So it's it's fun. Yeah, they're lovely people. I mean, they really are. And 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 I I say this often i don't say it often enough that without them i wouldn't be in coffee roasting right now i truly believe that um they they gave me so much uh, and we still buy you know you know a, a few containers a year from them still uh, and we will continue to because they're great friends and and like i i've talked about this a fair bit online and i you know i don't want to kind of go over old so but like i think it's very important to have a mixture of ways that you buy coffee like buying direct trade is not perfect in any way whatsoever in fact it's the mm-hmm. worst way um and um i mean it's fun 
and it, and it's, it's I personally enjoy it, but like I love buying from importers because I get thirty days credit and I get somebody else to ship it, and I don't have to worry about the quality and pre ships and. So we still use um, a few importers, um, and we still uh, use exporters, and we also, you know, buy directly as well. And I think having that portfolio of ways of buying is just still so important. Um, it really is. I have to say, I agree with you. I I, I feel safe with importers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. It just takes some of the risk away. And let, let's be honest, like when we're sending hundreds of thousands of dollars all over the world to complete strangers in many at times to hoping that they'll send us the right thing you know we risk our businesses while we're doing that um and and it, you know sometimes it's just nice to have the easier option um and somebody else manage the relationship because that word relationship is really important you know relationships are really hard they're really hard work and when you've got lots of them it's really really hard work and i just love the fact that sometimes somebody else is worrying about some of the other relationships i have yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you there. You mentioned uh, already uh, that you buying containers. I'm we still using the language of pellets because mm-hmm. we are much more than you guys. And uh, who, who knows if we ever will uh, buy containers. But uh, do you remember how much you sold, let's say, your first year or two per year? And what is it today? Sure. So, so I mean... Um... So I, I, those 10 bags that I bought, so the, the first proper shipment I bought lasted around about 10 months. So mm-hmm. you work it out, a sack a month, 60 kilos a month. Um, you know, it, and it's very difficult to say what what has been actually sales because I, I, I also buy for 3FE Coffee in Ireland as well, which is my other, um, my, my, my other business in Ireland, uh, which I'm co-owner of. Um, so I do all the green buying for there, and I, that comes through has been. So sometimes you kind of look at the figures and go, "Oh, you know, we're doing okay," but then I forget that we send a whole heap across the Irish Channel. Um, but I, I would say between has been just between two hundred and fifty and three hundred tons a year. Oh wow, that's that's very impressive. Congrats, guys. Thank you, thank you. No, I mean, you know, it, I, I, and I don't want it to get a lot bigger. If I, if I'm completely honest with you, I'm actually really happy with the size that we are at the moment and what we're doing and. Um, the quality that we bring in, it's become harder and harder for me to find the coffees that meet my expectations, the bigger we've got. Um, and uh, I've spent more and more time traveling. So if I tell you since the 1st of January this year, I've got on 28 aeroplanes um, and I've been in three continents. Um, I'm busy, you know, and that's because I'm having to go out and find the coffees now because they're not coming to me. In the early days, they kind of used to come to me a lot more. And um, now I'm having to really work on the relationships, go out and see the people and, and actually do a lot more traveling, which means I'm doing less time standing at a roaster, which makes me sad because that's what I wanted to do this job uh, was to stand at a roaster. But it's, you know, if we I, I'm kind of quite happy to just kind of consolidate a little bit now and, and work more with 3FE and work more on on drop as well. And, and, and I mean, I have nothing to do with the coffee at drop, by the way. I have to put this disclaimer in every time I mention drop is that I have no input into the coffee at drop at all because Joanna gets very angry at me. Um, <laughs> so I, I am purely there to pay the invoices as they come in and make sure that the cash flow is still there and uh, try and make it profitable. So that, that's my only job there. I, I, I'm allowed to cup the coffees but not have any opinions on them. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm much more happier uh, kind of investing my time in growing those parts because I think there's more opportunity there than 
kind of growing has been too much. Listen, I don't want to stand still and I don't want to go backwards, but I, we raced ahead for so many years that I, I kind of, I want to enjoy it a little bit now and, and start to enjoy that side of the business. What what was the biggest booster for a business? Because you grew from, well, let's say 12 bags um, a year to uh, these uh, giant two, 300 tons, right? So what would uh, what, what what do you think was the biggest kind of like a boost for you? There were two. There were three. There, there's three things that I um, that I kind of pinpoint as very as, as game changing moments. Um, the first one was 2005, um, and getting the invite to go and be part of the Cup of Excellence jury in Nicaragua was huge because that was my first time I'd been out of the. I've been on an aeroplane since I was about like seven years old. And that was like in Europe. So it was the first time I'd been out of Europe. And um, I kind of went to Origin and I kind of got to understand a little bit more about coffee and how it grows. And, you know, seeing your first coffee plant is a special time, you know, a special mm-hmm. moment. And I, agree. <clears throat> I think it can give you more focus uh, and more drive to do what you want to do. Um, so that was a very big moment for me. And it gave us credibility, like straight away. There was no, no, Monmouth were part of the Cup of Excellence jury at the time. I think, I think Anita had done some, and I think AJ had done some, but um, there was nobody else really in the UK who was involved in that. So that was a big boost. And we literally saw when I came back, oh, we're a bit busier. You know, th- this is good. This is a good sign. And then um, the next one was 2009. Um, and there were two things happened in 2009, and I'm never quite sure which one was the big boost. So, Christmas 2008, I resigned for, I resigned from the prison service. So all of that time, I'd been on Cup of Excellence juries. I'd roasted coffee for WBC finalists. And, and, and I was still a prison officer. Oh. I remember when James Hoffman came, uh, I think it was fifth or sixth in Burn in 2006. I couldn't wait for the award ceremony because um, I had to be on nights that night and I had to get the flight back to go and do my night duty at the prison. So... That leaving the prison service was a big change but also tied in with that was um, roasting for Colin in the WBC in 2009 in Atlanta got us a lot of exposure and also I met Colin which kind of gave I don't know we kind of work we're a very good team we kind of have different skill sets and he made me look at business a little differently and he brought a lot of ideas into has been for me um, and then we started to work together on 3FE which was you know, that was a big part of the growth and a big part of the change. And I suddenly had something to bounce ideas off. And like up until that point, I'd been kind of fighting on my own. You know, I'd kind of been having these conversations with myself and all of a sudden I had somebody that I could have those conversations with. And then on top of that, 2009 was a big year. We also did In My Mug. And I talked to people in the coffee industry about In My Mug. And some people sneer. Like I, I, I rightly sneer at it and kind of go, what'd you do that for? Well, the reason I do that is we, we've had over 4 million views of the video since I started. Oh, wow. It's pretty good. Um, we sell I don't know, uh, between one and a half and 2,000 subscriptions a week on the back of it. Um, and it, it, made, it made me that Z-list celebrity that, you, you know, you said at the start that, you know, oh, people know who you are. Well, that's... A lot of that was in my mug. A lot of that was doing the podcast, throwing it out there. And yes, for the industry, it has no relevance at all. Like it is not aimed at the industry. It's aimed at Mrs. Smith in Aberdeen, who wants to try coffee, but doesn't really get 
all these fancy coffees that taste differently. You know, what, what, taste of pineapple, you know, what the heck, it tastes of coffee. So it's about holding their hand and bringing them through that part. But it's also for like the 14, 15 year old kid who suddenly thinks, I want to get into coffee. I want, you know, I, I've had a coffee at a chain and I didn't like it, but I went to a specialty store and I liked it and I want to find out more. And it's for the, like we, I did a shout out in my mug today that there's a, a coffee group that's on, a, on an oil rig in the North Sea, just off Aberdeen. Um, and they watch in my mug every week and have an in my mug subscription sent to them. Um, and they all sit around in their oil rig watching me drink coffee in Stafford and kind of go, this is cool. I'm learning about coffee and it kills an evening where we get to get, get together and drink coffee. So the relevance is never for the industry. It's purely for, you know, the home consumers. And it's a gateway. Like so often we pretend we're so snobby and so amazing at what we do that we, we scare people away. Where if you have some idiot go, hello everybody and welcome to In My Mug episode 382. They kind of go, oh, this is a little bit more accessible for me. This guy's not being a hipster or a cool guy. He's being an idiot in front of a camera and he's talking about coffee and getting excited about coffee. So um, that was a very big change as well. Like the In My Mug stuff has been fantastic for us. And the very few occasions I've kind of, I've thought about stopping. So I've done, since 2009, I, I've only ever missed one week. Um, uh, and I regret that week immensely. And I blame Colin for that because that's when we were at Atlanta at the WBC uh, in 2009. And I just couldn't be bothered. Um, I think that was like episode 25 or something like that. But we're episode 382 this week. 15 minutes every week, 382 times going, hello, this is coffee. Drink it. It's nice. You might taste this. And I hope that you do. Um, yeah, yeah. Was I right or was I right? Steven is a lot of fun to talk to and I hope you had a blast to listen to this interview. Next week we are going to continue with Steven and we are going to talk about his YouTube because he is very big with videos and he's he has an excellent show called In My Mug. And we are also going to talk about his fictional company. So stay with us also next week. And do not forget, I'm still looking for those iTunes reviews. I know. There's no prize yet, but there might be later. Thank you for those uh, reviews and thank you for listening to this show and talk to you soon. Bye.